Good stuff this morning, huh? That was great, man. Good, great job, worship team. Um, excited today uh, for a lot of reasons, not the least of which is uh, we're going to be launching a brand new uh, sermon series on the parables of Jesus today. And before we get uh, really cranked up in that story, I'm going to do a little exercise, make sure that you guys are awake this morning. Now, you should have received one of these bad boys when you walked in, a little bulletin. So if you got one, show me you got it. Just raise it up in the air. Wave it like you don't care. All right. So there, a lot of, that's good. So you guys are halfway there. Now, open it up. I want you to open it up. And there's this little tear-out card in it called a connection card. And I want you guys to tear it out. I want to hear it ripping out. So just tear it out right now. Come on. First service was way better than y'all. Come on, tear these out. All right. Now, uh, there should be a pen close to you, maybe in the front. Just want you to write your name on it, and don't, don't get nervous. I'm not going to make you uh, turn this in, but there is going to be a time uh, at the end of the service where uh, we may use that. Now, uh, the English word for parable actually comes from the Greek word parabole, which literally means the placing of one thing on the side of another. So it's this idea that a parable compares one thing to another, typically using an earthly story to unearth a deeper spiritual truth. Now, one of the marks of the parables of Jesus is that there are oftentimes an unexpected twist in the story as well, usually at the end of the story, something that kind of shocks his audience, something that kind of grabs their attention. And there's another thing about the parables of Jesus. This makes some people a little bit uncomfortable. We'll talk about this in a minute. But Jesus used parables to both conceal and reveal truth. He would reveal truth to those genuinely seeking him through these stories, and he would also conceal truth from those with hardened hearts. And again, we're going to dig into that in a minute. But this is really going to, I believe this is going to be a really rich series. I'm really excited about it. Um, honestly, if you've got somebody in your life that you've been thinking about inviting to church with you, maybe a classmate, a neighbor, a friend, coworker, something like that, you've kind of been on the fence. You're like, man, I don't know what Chris is going to preach next week. I don't want to weird him out. Now, this is going to be a really good, I think, a safe series for you to invite people to because these parables of Jesus really speak deeply to the human heart regardless of where you are on your spiritual journey. And so, again, let me just encourage you, New Life family, uh, be faithful. Invite somebody to come with you during this series. Again, we're going to run this series all the way through the holidays, through the end of the year, um, all the way through Christmas time. It's going to be really good. Well, if you have your Bible, go ahead and grab that and head for Matthew chapter 13. In Matthew 13, there seems to be a shift in the way that Jesus teaches. And so, uh, Jesus had used parables occasionally up until chapter 13, but from this point forward, it almost becomes his dominant form of public teaching. I mean, he uses a ton of parables uh, from this point forward, and we are going to start with maybe the most famous one of all. It's known as the parable of the sower or the parable of the four soils, or as I call it, the sower and the dirt, because I'm from Alabama, and that just sounds right to me. Now, when I first came to New Life um, nearly three years ago, which is crazy hard for me to believe that it's uh, been three years. I know some of you are like, man, it feels a heck of a lot longer than three years. But for me, it feels like I've been here for three months, and I've been here for almost uh, uh, three years. But when I first got here almost three years ago, started hanging out with a guy named uh, Ray Garcia. Now, some of y'all know uh, Ray. He was uh, one of our elders here at New Life. And Ray moved to uh, Florida last year. Uh, for which I have still not forgiven him 
And so, Ray, if you're, if you're watching or you're listening later on, I want you to know I, I still don't forgive you. I, I will never forgive you. No. I, just, I, I love Ray, but as soon as I moved here, Ray and I started hanging out. And uh, we went through a book called uh, Finishing Strong. And in the first chapter of Finishing Strong, the author, uh, Steve Farrar, recounts this story of, um, of this young guy who was, who was, he was about 20 years old, and he was just on fire for Jesus, man. And he was studying. He was going to do something for God. He was going to go into the ministry. And he decided that he, he was going to write down in the back of his Bible. So all those blank pages that you and I never use, he opened it up to the back of his Bible. And he decided that he was going to write down the names of everybody he knew, like all of his friends, everybody in his social circle that was super just on fire for the Lord. They were just fired up about Jesus. They were going to go into ministry or do something for the Lord. And this young 20-year-old guy preparing to go into some form of ministry, he wrote down everybody he could think of, everybody he knew who was his friend that were fired up for Jesus, and he came up with 24 names. So two dozen people that he was really close with, they just, man, they were on fire for Jesus. And he tells the story that 33 years later, so, oh, no, let me, let me rewind, rewind for a minute. So as people, as, he, as these people, these 24 people that he knew, um, as they would kind of uh, flame out or maybe they'd just walk away from Jesus, he would open, he'd go back and open up his Bible, flip to those pages, and he would just kind of gently uh, mark a line through their name. And so 33 years go by, the 20-year-old who was fired up for Jesus is now 53 years old, and he tells a story in this book of going to his Bible one day and opening it up and going to the back after 33 years of his Bible and there were only three names left. After, out, of, out of 24, two dozen people that were all on fire for Jesus, walking with the Lord, three decades later, there were only three people left on that list and the author goes on to conclude that the Christian faith is not about how you start, it is about how you finish. Now, if you would have told me in my early 20s as I really, for the first time, began to walk with Jesus and I was excited for what God had for me, his mission for the world, if you would have told me in my early 20s that a huge percentage of people who seemed excited about Jesus, that many of those people would eventually walk away, my friends, people that I knew, I probably, in my early 20s, I probably would have called you a liar. But I can tell you now, 19 years into this journey, that it has been shocking to me the number of people who once seemed on fire for Jesus, who have just flamed out or they simply walked away from Jesus. But in this parable that we're going to look at today, Jesus is going to tell us that is exactly what is going to happen. Like this, this shouldn't be a surprise to us. This shouldn't, shouldn't shock us. This is going to happen. Jesus is going to tell us today that people respond in one of four ways when they hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Three ways Jesus is going to tell us lead to destruction, and only one way is going to lead to life. And my challenge to you this morning is that as we go through these different categories, these four different responses to the gospel, my challenge to you today is just to, to think through and determine which of the four describes the condition of your heart. Now, not, not what you wish it was, not what you would say to me if I were to ask you out by the coffee bar, but honestly, just between you and God, just determine which one of these four really describes the condition of your heart today. Matthew 13, beginning in verse 1, this is Matthew, disciple of Jesus, writing this. He says this, that same day... 
Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and he sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach and he told them many things in parables saying, a sower went out to sow. Now this is not your Aunt Doris uh, sewing like a dress for Easter or something like that. Jesus is talking, when he says sower, he's talking about a farmer, okay? The farmer casting seed, verse four. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. And other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them out. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. So picture, picture the scene, right? Jesus is not seeking fame, but word has spread that this guy is healing people, he is casting out demons, he's calming raging storms, and so the crowds are just swelling. And no matter where Jesus goes, these huge crowds of people just keep on showing up for the Jesus show. They want to show up for the circus. They want to be entertained. And so this massive crowd finds Jesus. He's by this beach one day. This massive crowd finds him. They're pressing in on him to the point that he actually gets into a boat and he pushes out and he teaches them this parable, this story about a farmer and casting seeds in four types of soil or dirt. And after he tells them uh, this parable in verse 10, it says this, Then his disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? So I can, you kind of picture the, the 12 disciples as Jesus is, is teaching this parable and they're, they're kind of standing there like, yeah, that's right, Jesus. Good point, man. That is, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, listen, y'all better listen up. This is really rich here, right? And then the crowd leaves and they come back up to Jesus and like, hey man, what did you mean by that? Like, what, 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 like, what, were, you, what were you talking? What was all that about, man? This story of a farmer and seed and dirt and fruit, like what? the heck was all of that about in verse 11 jesus gives them an answer it says and he answered them to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven but to them it has not been given for to the one who has more will be given and he will have an abundance but from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away this is why i speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear nor do they understand Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says now, Jesus is going to go back to Isaiah chapter 6. He's quoting from Isaiah chapter 6. And it says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And with their eyes, they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. And Jesus turns back at this point to his disciples in verse 16, and he says, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and they did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. And so Jesus quotes from Isaiah chapter 6, who is speaking to Israel. And these were a people at this point in time in their history who had hardened their hearts against God. 
God had loved these people and he had pursued these people again and again and yet they had rejected God over and over again and they had hardened their hearts. And finally in chapter six of Isaiah, God's just like, fine, you, you want a life apart from me, I will give you what you want. Now I don't know about you, but that is an absolutely terrifying thought to me. And let me just encourage you, friend, that if you find yourself in that place this morning, like you're, you're running from God and maybe you've heard the gospel again and again and again and, and maybe you thought, man, maybe, maybe later. May, may, maybe at some other point in my life, maybe when I'm older, maybe when I got more things figured out, maybe when I clean my life up. Man, I just wanna live my life my way for a while, so maybe later. Listen, if that is you, friend, let me, let me plead with you. Be very careful because as I, as I read these scriptures the way that I understand them, you can actually harden your heart to the point where you can no longer hear from God. If you can hear him today, if he moves in your heart this morning, listen, that is a gift. That is a gift. Respond now. Come to him today if you never have. If you've turned your back, if you've run away, come back today because, listen to me, if you dull your heart, if you grieve the Holy Spirit by rejecting God over and over again, you just may wake up one day with a hardened heart and with eyes that can no longer see and ears that can no longer hear. And there is no greater tragedy than that. And now Jesus explains the parable to his disciples beginning in verse 18. He says, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. That's kind of surprising, isn't it? Immediately receives it with joy and yet has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. And it proves, that's an important word, we'll come back to this, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, and he indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, in another 30. And so Jesus is explaining to us that there are four ways that people respond to the word of God, to the gospel of Jesus. And again, as we go through these, my challenge to you this morning is to consider which type of soil would best describe the current condition of your heart. And so Jesus goes, listen, I'll... I'll explain this to you. Here's the deal. A farmer went out into his field and he starts casting out seed as farmers do. And some of the seed fell on hard ground and immediately the birds came and they snatched up and devoured, ate those seeds. Jesus goes, this is the first way that people respond. And I think, frankly, this is probably the most common way people respond to the word, to the gospel of Jesus. So response number one, we'll call this number one, the hard-hearted soil. These are people who, as Jesus explains, have hard hearts just like the people in Isaiah chapter 6. 
And so Satan comes and he snatches that gospel seed away because their hearts are so hard that the seed cannot penetrate the soil of their hearts. So these are people that hear the gospel and they reject it immediately. They hear it and right away they're like, no, I don't believe that. I will not believe that. I'm not going to follow this dude who lived 2,000 years ago and he, he died and he supposedly was resurrected. Like, that is so dumb. That is moronic. I will not believe that. I was listening to a, a podcast uh, this, this past week, popular podcaster, and, uh, and I like the guy. He's, a, he's not a believer, um, but he started talking about Christianity. And he said, man, yeah, yeah, those Christians, man, they, they believe in like a zombie God, you know? Like Jesus was dead, he walks out of the grave, and now, yeah, we're going to worship this zombie God. Like, to him, it was utter foolishness, right? And we, we can be shocked as Christians, as believers, when people respond this way. We can get offended and, oh, I can't believe he said that, but we really shouldn't. Now, I don't want you to turn there, but I want, I want to show you something really fascinating in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, this is Paul writing to a church in a city called Corinth. This is what he says. Listen to this. He says, For the message of the cross is foolishness or folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. See, and Paul goes, listen, the word of the cross, it's foolishness. It's moronic to those who are perishing, those who are living apart from Christ, but to those of us who know Jesus Christ, it is the very power of God in our lives. And so when people with hard hearts hear the good news about Jesus, they're just like, man, I, I can't. This is, this is the dumbest. This might be the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like you're, you're telling me that God became a man and then he was, he was born of a virgin and that he lived a perfect life. Like you're telling me he did not sin one single time. And then he died to pay for my sins and he rose again on the third day. Like, yeah, right. I bet Jesus had unicorns and rainbows that followed him around too, right? This is moronic. And this is the first type of response. It is immediate rejection of the word. And listen, maybe you're here this morning and maybe that's you. Maybe you came here to appease your spouse or your parents or your grandparents or you just stumbled in here. Maybe that's you. Maybe you hear us sing these songs and you hear us pray these prayers and you hear us proclaim these messages and you're just thinking in the back of your mind like this is the dumbest thing I maybe have ever heard in my life. And if that is you, I want you to know I am so glad that you're here. I am so glad that you're here. And here, here would be my encouragement. And I would just say to you, like, you have nothing to lose. My encouragement, my challenge to you would just be to pray a really simple prayer right now and just say, God, if you are real, God, if you are real, if any of this is true, would you just confirm it in my heart? Would you just change my heart? Would you, would you help me to believe if this is actually true and if you're really real? What do you, what do you have to lose, right? But Jesus says, this is, this is the first response. It's, it's, it's hard ground. It's, it's the hard-hearted person who just immediately rejects the word. And Satan comes like a bird and just snatches that gospel seed away. So believer, listen to me. Don't be surprised 
They don't, don't be shocked. Don't be offended when the media or like your friend at school or your coworker looks at the way that you live your life and what you live for and they think you're a fool or they think what you live for is dumb. Hey, high school student, college student, young adult, don't be surprised when you decide to pursue sexual purity that your friends think that is the dumbest thing I have ever heard in my life. It is 2019. Don't be surprised. Don't be offended. Jesus told us many people would react this way to the gospel. Expect it. It is a part of our journey of following Jesus. It's hard-hearted soil. That's the first type of person. They hear the word and they reject it immediately. I do not believe this. This is foolish to me. There's a second response. Jesus says it's like rocky soil. We're gonna call this second response, number two, rocky-hearted soil. Go back to verse 20. Look at this. It says, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation and persecution arise on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So Jesus goes, and this is, this is a little bit frightening, right? Because Jesus goes, not everyone who rejects the gospel will reject it immediately. See, there will be some who receive it with joy for a while. See, this seed is going to land in some rocky dirt, and the plant is going to shoot up. But then something happens after a while. So initially, things, things look really good, but because this, this young plant doesn't have any roots, the roots never grow deep. When the sun comes out, when life gets hard, when the trials of life begin to press in as they always do, when there's tribulation or persecution, these people fall away. This is the person who hears about Jesus, and they're like, yes, yes, I love that. Give me some of that. I want some of Jesus. But as soon as things get harder in life, they're like, man, I didn't sign up for this. This is not what I thought it would be. I just wanted to punch my golden ticket to heaven. Nobody told me I was going to lose most of my friends over this. Nobody told me a lot of people in my family were going to mock me and make fun of me because of this. Man, I thought this was going to make my life a lot easier, not a lot harder. See, these are the people that bought into the genie in a bottle Jesus. You know what I'm talking about, right? This idea that Jesus exists in heaven to serve you, to meet all of your needs. And when he doesn't do that the way that you think that he ought to, you get, you get mad because you think he owes you something. And church, I want to I say this clearly, and I say this with love in my heart, but I want you to hear this. Listen, Jesus doesn't owe you anything. Jesus doesn't owe you a thing. Jesus didn't die on the cross and walk out of that tomb three days later to become your cosmic butler. We owe him everything. So let me go ahead and let the cat out of the bag this morning. If you are following Jesus so that he can fix all of your problems and make your life super easy and do whatever you ask him to do, whenever you ask him to do it, if you want a tooth fairy Jesus, listen, you can go ahead and tap out now because that is not the way this thing works. I want you to hear this. We, listen, this, this could revolutionize your life. We come to Jesus to get Jesus. 
We don't come to Jesus to get what he can give us. We come to get Jesus to get Jesus. He is the treasure. He is the prize. He is our hope. He is our satisfaction. He is our highest treasure. So Jesus says, listen, there are those who respond with joy for a while, but when the sun comes out, the trials of life prove that that seed never really took root. And I'm guessing that some of you in this room right now, if you're being really gut level honest with yourself, would have to say, yeah, that's me. Yeah, Jesus is talking about me. Like Jesus just nailed me right there. Because there was a time in my life where I got really excited about Jesus and maybe I prayed a prayer as a kid in VBS or I got excited at, at youth summer camp or something like that, but then life got hard and I walked away. And my faith has withered like that plant that Jesus is talking about there. And if that's you, listen, same thing, I'm glad that you're here. Because I want you to know that God loves you. And he wants to give you a real, dynamic, lasting relationship with him. So the first response to the word is immediate rejection. It's hard soil. It's, no, I, I don't believe that. No, that's dumb. No, that's foolish. But there's a second response that says, yeah, I'm in. Oh, wait. This is really hard. I was not expecting this. Actually, I'm out. So that's the second response. And then Jesus says there's also a third response. And I'll be honest with you. For me, this is probably the most frightening response of the four. And I'll show you why. Look at verse 7. Jesus says, other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Jesus then explains this to his disciples in verse 22. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who, who hears, this is the idea of, of receiving. He hears and he receives the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves in the end to be unfruitful. So the third type of person hears the word and they appear to receive it. Now notice, Jesus says the first type of soil, this, this hard-hearted soil, right? Satan snatches the seed away. They reject the gospel immediately. The second type of soil, the, the rocky-hearted soil, this person receives the word initially, but then things get hard and they walk away. They also clearly reject Jesus. So both the first two responses are really obvious. They both eventually say, I'm out. I don't believe. I'm not going to follow Jesus. Now, are you ready for the really scary part? The third type of person, as far as I can tell, they never, never outwardly reject the gospel. The third type of person never says, I'm out, like the first two types of people. It's just that everything else in their lives, the pursuit of riches, the cares of this world, slowly and silently choke it out. And here's what's so scary about that to me. Jesus says that these people are deceived. These are the people that think they're in when in fact they're really out. See, the first two types of people, they know they're out. They've rejected Jesus. They've walked away from the gospel. But the third response, and we'll call this response the divided heart soil, this response is doubly lethal because it is so much more subtle. These are the people that are probably sitting in a church today. These are the people that say, yeah, I'm cool with Jesus. 
Yeah, I believe in the gospel intellectually. And yet Jesus says that they've come to love other things more than they love me. These are people who want an add-on Jesus. They don't want to reorient their lives around the kingdom of God. They don't want to actually change anything at all. They just want to tack on Jesus. They just want to add on Jesus. And yeah, I'll go to church and maybe even I'll serve so I can feel good about myself and I'll call myself a believer and I'll call myself a Christian. But Jesus says in the end, these people, notice the language he uses, they prove in the end to be unfruitful. In the end, their lives prove that the gospel seed never actually took root. They just sprinkled some Jesus dust on their lives and continued to pursue riches and the things of this world until that stuff eventually choked out their faith and they probably didn't even realize it. And church, I'm telling you as a pastor, this gives me nightmares. And here's, here's why. I, I, see, I see so many people in this culture that, that claim the name of Jesus and they live their lives exactly like everybody else. They orient their lives around the same things that the world does. They pursue all of the same things that the world does. They live for the same things that the world lives for. They just call themselves Christians and go to church. And Jesus says, they have been deceived. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter seven that on that last day when people stand before the judgment throne of God Almighty, Jesus says many people, not a few people, not a handful of people, Jesus says many people on that day will cry out, Lord, Lord, did we not do all of these things in your name? Jesus, we went to church. Jesus, we called ourselves Christians. Jesus, we threw cash in the basket every week when it came around. Jesus, we joined a small group. Jesus, we did all of this stuff. And on that day, Jesus will say to them, I think with a tear in his eye, depart from me. Because I never knew you. You loved other things more than you loved me. And your life proved that your faith was unfruitful. Now, some would argue that this third category of people are really Christians, and I really hope that they're right. I pray that they're right, but I don't think they are. Why? Because Jesus says you will know a tree by its fruit. And Jesus says these people don't produce genuine spiritual fruit. In other words, these people look really good from the outside. These people would, would say some of the right things. They would, they would do some of the right things, but their heart belongs to other gods. Church, let me just say, beware. Like friend, examine your heart this morning. Paul tells us to examine our salvation with fear and trembling, lest we be deceived and think we're in when we're really out. Now let me, let me pause here just, just for a second and say something really clearly because I, I don't want you to leave here confused. I, I do not believe you can lose your salvation, okay? If you, if you are really saved, you cannot lose your salvation. You didn't earn it, Jesus did. You didn't earn it, so you can't lose it. But I do think, listen, this is, this is where the rub comes in, and this is where a lot of people get it twisted. I think there are a lot of people who think they're Christians when they're really not. I think there are a lot of people that think they're in when they're really out. There are a lot of people that think they belong to Jesus when their hearts actually belong to other gods, and Jesus will not share his throne with anyone else or anything else. 
So if you would say this morning, yeah, like, yeah, Chris, I'm, I'm a Christian, man. I, I believe the gospel, and yeah, my, my life doesn't really bear any signs of that. Like, I've never actually, nothing in my life has ever actually changed. But you know what? Like, I, I prayed a prayer when I was a kid, man. I, I, I prayed a prayer when I was a teenager at camp, man. And so I, I got my ticket, man. I'm, I'm going to heaven. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm just telling you, I have a really hard time with that. I really struggle with that because Jesus says in John 15, when you are connected to the vine, when you are connected to him, you will bear fruit. It's not a maybe. He doesn't say, if you're connected to me, maybe you'll bear fruit. If you're lucky, you'll bear fruit. He says, no, if you are connected to the vine, you will. It's a definitive term he uses there. You will bear fruit. Beloved, hear me. Jesus changes us. He changes us. So if you're here this morning, I don't care if you're calling yourself a Christian or not. I don't care if you go to church or not. I don't care if you know the Bible, you could quote it like nobody's business or not. If you have not been changed, I don't care about any of that stuff. You need to do some serious soul searching. That is what this parable is intended to make you do. And the scary thing for me is I bet even in this room, there are some people, maybe even many people who are in this third category. And you think you're in when you're really out. So friend, please, I beg you, examine your heart this morning. Listen, there's, there's too much at stake. There's too much at stake for you just to, to breeze past this mentally and just walk out of here to, to run to lunch or whatever you got going on this afternoon. Jesus says, you will know a tree by its fruits. If you know Jesus, you will bear fruit. So let's recap this. The first type of response is immediate rejection. These are the people that hear the word, they hear the gospel, and they say, no, I will not believe. That is dumb. That is the most foolish thing I've ever heard. The second response is a little more frightening, right? They, they hear it, and initially they believe. They receive it with joy. Things get hard in their life. And they say, no, actually, I don't, I don't really want this. It's not what I thought it was. And the third response is more subtle. People receive the word but the pursuit of riches and pleasure chokes out the seed of faith, and many probably don't even realize until it's too late. Friend, have you, have you found yourself in this parable yet? Have you found yourself in this parable? I hope that many of you have. But then Jesus goes, it doesn't have to be that way. I've provided another way. I've provided, I've provided a fourth way. There's this, this fourth type of response, and this is the one response that leads to life, and few will find it. That's why Jesus, in other passages, calls this the narrow gate or the narrow path, because most people on this planet are on the first three paths that lead to destruction. But Jesus says, there's good news. I've provided another way for you. In verse 23, he says this, As for what has been sown on good soil, this is the one who, who hears or receives the word and understands it. And he indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixteen, in another thirty. And we'll call this type of response number four, the fertile-hearted soil. And this person is marked by three distinct characteristics. And so if you're out there right now and you're thinking, man, I don't know which one I am. I hope I'm number four, but I'm just not quite certain that I am. Then this is a great checklist for you just to kind of 
hold your life up against these three characteristics and say, are these things present in my life? Do I really have a good-hearted, a fertile soil? So the first mark of this type of person is one, they accept the gospel. They hear it and they're like, yes, I believe. I believe it, man. I accept it. There's something that resonates in my heart. When I hear the gospel of Jesus, my soul just sings, man. Like, yes, that is true. I want that. I want to love Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. The second mark of this type of person is that they bear fruit. And you're like, Chris, what does fruit even mean? What does it mean in this context? Well, Paul tells us in Galatians, spiritual fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Is your life increasingly marked by those characteristics. These people bear fruit. And then number three, the third mark of this type of person is they endure in the faith. These people do not fall away when the sun gets hot. They do not walk away from Jesus when things get tough. They don't get choked out by the cares of this world or by riches. They prize Jesus above all else in their lives for their entire lives. And so, you know, this is, this is a prayer that, that I pray. I pray oftentimes, God, God keep me. God, hold, hold me fast. God, don't, don't let me drift away. Don't let me fall away. God, don't let me implode my life. Don't let me bring shame on your kingdom. God, by your grace, Jesus, would you hold me until yourself, until I breathe my last breath on this planet? It reminds me of a famous hymn, one of my favorite hymns called uh, Come Thy Found. I want to share just part of it. And I think this is, this is a healthy prayer for all of us to pray. This will be on the screens for you. It says this, O to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, a fetter was a chain. And so the hymn writer is saying, God, chain my heart to you. Chain it to you so I can't get away, even if I want to. Bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. And so if you're sitting here this morning and you're going, yeah, man, I, 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 see these, I see these fruits in my life. Not perfectly, but increasingly the trajectory of my life is, is bearing spiritual fruit. It's loving Jesus more. If that's you, friend, celebrate. Rejoice. Because you cannot bear spiritual fruit apart from the Spirit of God. So if you are here and you are enduring in your faith, you are loving Jesus more, man, that is, that is God's goodness. That is God's faithfulness to you. Rejoice, celebrate in that believer. I want to show you this and we'll, we'll kind of wrap it up with this. In Matthew 24, Jesus says this. These, these will be on the screens for you. Jesus says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. In Revelation 2, Jesus says this. Hold on to what you have until I come to the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, to him I will give authority. Hebrews, Hebrews 3 says this, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ. That means you are in Christ. You have fertile soil if... He says, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. 
Church, would you bow your heads with me as we pray and we consider these things? Friend, when you, when you look at your life, do you see a growing desire to love Jesus and to know Jesus? Do you see a growing desire in your heart to bear fruit in his kingdom? Does the trajectory of your life point to a real, vibrant relationship with the God of this universe? Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about perfection, right? Even, even good soil from time to time, we're gonna have to take the rocks and the thorns, we're gonna have to weed those things out of our hearts. But does the trajectory of your life point to a growing love for Jesus? Or does your life look like that plant that got scorched when the sun got hot? Maybe for you, you walked away when things got hard. Or maybe you, you bailed when tragedy showed up at your doorstep. Maybe you, maybe you tapped out when things didn't go the way that you thought that they should go in your life. Maybe, maybe all of this got choked out somewhere along the way, and you're not even sure when that happened, but you know now that your heart loves other things more than it loves Jesus. And if you are any of those things, you are here today. I want you to understand, God, listen, God is inviting you in. God, God loves you. God came for you. He died for you. He is very much real. He is very much alive. And he walked out of that tomb to prove it to you. So regardless of where you are today, Jesus is inviting you in. And man, I want my heart to be that good soil. I want to I love Jesus to the very end of my life. And he can give you that kind of heart today. All you have to do is to ask and believe by faith, to turn from your sin and turn to Jesus. As we pray in a moment, here's what I want to invite you to do. I want to invite you, regardless of where you think you are at this morning, I want you to take that connection card that we tore out a little while ago. And here, here's what I want you to do. If you would say, man, I, I know, I know I'm that fourth soil. God, God has been gracious to me and I'm walking with him and the trajectory of my life points to, to more fruitfulness and more faithfulness and loving God even more. If that's you and you're like, man, I know that I'm in. And I want you to be thankful, I want you to rejoice, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray, and I want you to write down the name of one person that you're gonna pray for and you're gonna ask God for the courage to share the good news with as we head towards Christmas. Now, some of you already know who that is because God has been prompting you in your heart for a long time to share with this person. Others of you, maybe you need to hear from God. But if you're in this morning, your heart is that number four type of soil, I just want you to pray. I want you to write down the name of somebody that you're praying for and you're asking God to give you the courage to share with. Or maybe you're gonna invite them here to a service like this so they can hear the gospel here. Now, if your heart is one of the first three kinds of soil and God is, maybe God is drawing you in this morning. Maybe you feel him calling to you. And if that's you, I want you to check that second little box, the one that says, I wanna talk to someone about following Jesus. You don't have to write anything else, just your name. Check that second box. Fold this up when you're done on your way out. There are two wooden boxes and just drop this in. We'll be in touch with you this week so we can sit down over coffee or on the phone and just talk about it. What does it mean to really follow Jesus, to really be all in with him? Or you can come up after the service in just a minute and you can pray with some of our prayer counselors. But listen to me. There is too much at stake for you just to file this away in the back of your mind. 
I plead with you. I, I implore with you. This is, this is too important. If you need to sit here in silence for 10 or 15 minutes until you get this thing figured out, do not walk out of this room until you get this figured out. It is too important. There is too much at stake. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us enough to challenge us, to, to really examine the condition of our hearts, God. Thank you for making a way out of darkness into a life-giving relationship with you through Jesus, God. Father, would you give us the courage right now, even in this moment, to really examine our hearts honestly and then to respond faithfully to your word. God, would you, would you soften the soil of our hearts? Would you, would you till it up? Would you remove rocks? Would you cut down the thorns, God? Do whatever you have to do in us to make us more like your son, Jesus. And we ask all of this, and we pray it in his beautiful name, the name of Jesus.